Acts chapter 8, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We will continue our story tonight in Acts chapter 8. If you were here last week, or even if you weren't, uh, we studied the story of Stephen. Stephen became a martyr for the sake of the gospel. He was killed for the sake of the gospel. And we ended by reading the end of that story last week. So we're going to pick up and talk about what happens next, okay? So Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them into prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get back into your groups for a minute. And looking at this passage, I want you to name a few observations. Just what's going on here? Or ask a couple of questions. You know, the who or the what or the where. So just name a few observations in your groups. Ask a couple of the questions based on these eight verses. Go ahead. Okay, we'll bring it on back up here. I want to hear from a couple of you. What did you talk about in your groups? What were some of the observations? What's going on? Or what are some questions you have? Who, what, where, those kinds of things. Who's, who's a first brave soul? Samaria. That's... Samaria. Okay, is that an observation or is that a question? That's an observation. That's an observation. Okay, Samaria. Samaria is mentioned in this passage. Very good. What else? Philip. Philip. Is that an observation or is that a question? <laughs> Philip. Philip is a part of the story. Or if you were asking a question, you could ask, who is Philip? Right? What else? Right back here, purple. What's that? Why were or weren't? Why weren't the apostles scattered? Very good question. Right here. The plan kind of backfired a little bit, don't you think? That's a very good observation. I like that. It's right, right here. Miracles are taking place. Okay, this is kind of an exciting... And there's great joy in the city. That makes sense to me, right? People are... Hey, if I was a paralytic and I was healed, I would be over, overjoyed as well. All right, let's dive into some of this for a minute. 
Let's go with Ben's question, first of all, of who is Philip, okay? Uh, If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, we're going to answer this question, who is this Philip guy? Starting at verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip... Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. I'm going to read two more verses. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miracles and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as those provinces of Cilicia and Asia. Okay, so I just read a lot of verses right there, but there was one name that was mentioned in there that might have stood out to you other than Timon. I mean, some of you guys were like, Timon, (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) I heard you chuckling up here. I'm not deaf. Philip. Philip is mentioned as one of these men, okay? So, during this time, there were lots of people that would immigrate to Jerusalem in the latter parts of their lives because they wanted to die in the holy city, okay? So, families would move to Jerusalem at the end of their lives, and then often what would happen is the husband would die before the wife, and so there was lots of widows that were living in the land. So, the Jerusalem government, if you will, kind of established this thing to try to care for these widows and make sure they were being fed and those kinds of things because they didn't have immediate family to do those kinds of things. It seems from this passage that as the church began to grow, they began to set up their own kind of charity for the Christian widows within the community to help make sure that they're being fed and cared for because they don't have immediate family, and they didn't have things like hospice and stuff like that back then, okay? So Philip is one of these guys, and he is appointed as one of the guys to help distribute the food to those who are in need. This is really all we know about this this Philip guy. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of Philip. I mean, we started looking at that in Acts chapter 8 a little bit tonight, and we're also going to do that in a couple of weeks when we come back from spring break, another story from this guy named Philip. The other question that was asked is the question of Samaria, or the observation of Samaria, okay? I'm going to turn that into a question, such as, where is Samaria? If you go to this map here, man, that's really bad lighting. Uh, anybody in, beyond the third row can't see that, so just trust me on this. Uh, Samaria is a region that's north of Jerusalem, okay? And in 722 BC, Assyria conquered the northern kingdom 
uh, of Israel and deported most of the people out of the region. There were a few that stayed within the land, but then Assyria also brought in their own people, and so these Assyrian people intermingled, if you will, with the Jewish people that were still left in the land. And these people that intermingled became known as the Samaritans. They weren't purebred Jewish people, okay? They were considered half-breeds in, in, in this culture, okay? So, by the, to the Jewish people, they did not really enjoy or appreciate the Samaritans because they sold out and they compromised. And so often, if people were going from Jerusalem to Galilee, the shortest route is actually to go through Samaria, straight north. But a lot of Jewish people would say, in order to avoid going to Samaritan villages, we're going to go east, down to Jericho, cross over the Jordan River, go north along the Jordan River, cross back over the Jordan River to the west, and then skip over Samaria and go to the Galilee region. All to avoid Samaritans. It's one thing to take the scenic route when you're driving. It's another thing to say, I'm going to tack on a couple extra days to my backpacking journey and cross over the Jordan River two different times in order to avoid this people group, right? So that's a couple things about Samaria. The Jewish people were saying, hey, we're supposed to avoid the Samaritans at all costs. The other thing that's interesting about Samaria is if you go to the next slide, Jesus, in the beginning in Acts chapter 1, says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the, uh, Samaria is part of the itinerary. And if you look at the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 7 all take place in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 take place in Judea and Samaria. And chapters 13 through the end take place beyond those borders, to the ends of the earth. So here we are in chapter 8, and we're talking about Samaria. Since, we're, um, since this is the itinerary that Jesus set for his, his followers, I figured it makes sense for us to talk about this story tonight, right? Okay, so Philip goes to Samaria and he proclaimed the Christ there. Philip doesn't go around and skip Samaria. He leaves Jerusalem and goes to Samaria to proclaim the Christ in that place. And people listened closely to his words. And they were astounded by the miracles that were taking place. And there was great joy in that city. I love that Philip is willing to go to a place like Samaria. Forget the old, you know, centuries-old taboo that the Samaritans are people you're supposed to avoid. Jesus actually went to Samaria, and he encountered a Samaritan woman. And so, makes sense. Jesus can do it. We can probably do that. That'd be okay, right? So my son Jaden is three, and his favorite game right now is whenever I come home from work, he hears me open the door, and I hear his little feet go, and he's like, Quick, we gotta hide. That's what he says to Stacy, okay? So, usually, what this means is he runs to another room 
and he jumps on the couch and he pulls a blanket over his head and he's just like sitting there. Where's Jaden? Jaden, where are you? <laughs> he just can't, he just loves this game, okay? He just loves to be found. He loves to hide. I don't know what it is right now, but then eventually I go over there and I rip off the blanket and he just like loses it and it's just his funniest thing and whatever. Or if he's upstairs, uh, and I start to walk upstairs. Our stairs are old and they creak a little bit. And he's, I can hear him do the same thing. He runs and he hides in the closet. And then he, I hear him say to Stacy, Daddy's coming. It's scary. <laughs> I know I'm a lot taller than you, but really, I mean, I thought we were a little closer than this, right? Uh, we recently watched a movie called Home. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Home, but uh, there's an alien by the name of Boove, uh, who is fearful of Gorg and the mother ship. And for whatever reason, there's this scene in this movie where Boove is like frightened of Gorg and they're all trying to run away. And so Jaden somehow picked up this line that he's using all the time in this game now that we have to run from our lives. <laughs> Quick, hide, run from our lives. It's daddy. It's scary. What is it about this nature that this three-year-old has to run and to hide from a big, scary guy? What is it about this? Philip, like Stephen, in the midst of this big, scary guy by the name of Saul, Persecution is breaking out against the church in Jerusalem. And they, have, and, they, and they scatter. But instead of scattering to run and hide and put a blanket over their heads and hope to the good Lord that Saul doesn't find them, they say, we're going to go wherever we're going to go and we're going to proclaim the word of God in those places because we don't care who the big scary guy is. We're going to tell the world about Jesus. And so they did. Who is this guy named Philip? Who in the midst of circumstances like this says, I don't even care what the risks are. I need to tell this story to anybody and everybody that I encounter. What? In 2007, Stacy and I had the opportunity to, many of you have heard this before, we lived in Jerusalem for a couple of years uh, studying there. And there was one Sunday in October 2007, we decided to go visit our friend Allah, uh, who's a Palestinian Christian, in Bethlehem uh, to go visit his church this one Sunday morning. And we got there, and we said hi to, you know, our friend. We called him Al a lot instead of Allah, but uh, said hi to Al, kind of hung out. And this small congregation of Palestinian Christians, which, by the way, I just have to say this. All Palestinians are not terrorists. 
okay? I mean, I watched the Republican debate, and I was, like, livid this past week because that's what they were assuming. I'm like, you can't assume that all Palestinians are terrorists. There's a lot of Palestinians that are amazing Christians. Anyway, (sighs) fires me up. Uh, So we go to this small congregation, about 100 Palestinian Christian people in the room, and they are worshiping their guts out in Arabic, And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Thankfully, they had English subtitles on all the slides, so I knew sort of what was going on. And then after this time of worship, this woman, her name was Paulina, took a microphone. She's about six months pregnant, has two small children staying by her side. And for the next 15 minutes, she tells the small congregation in the room about the love of Jesus, about the importance of forgiveness, the power of forgiveness, and the urgency for people to live lives of faith and share the gospel no matter what. And as this woman is telling the story, everybody in the audience is bawling their eyes out. Why? Why was this so powerful? Exactly seven days earlier, her husband, whose name was Rami, was closing up his shop in Gaza, the only Christian bookstore in Gaza. And he was kidnapped by a militant group and killed. Seven days earlier. And here she is, six months pregnant, with her two kids. And she's saying, there's so much power in forgiveness. The gospel has to be told. No matter what, no matter the cost. After church, we were talking with a few friends of ours, and next thing I know, there were, there were 15, about 15 people that fled from the Gaza area uh, that were, you know, there was a team of Christians that there was nothing that could separate them. So they fled Gaza, and they came to Bethlehem to kind of hide out and hang out for a couple weeks to let things cool off. They went to lunch after church, and they invited Stacy and I to join them. I find myself sitting... And this restaurant, typical Middle Eastern feast with pita bread and like a hundred plates of amazing dips. Uh, And I'm sitting next to this guy on my right. His name is Pastor Hana. He's the pastor of Gaza Baptist Church. I don't remember the name of the guy that sat on my left. Shame on me that I don't remember his name. Because these men the most amazing men I've ever met in my life. While we're eating lunch, they can't stop talking about Jesus. Gaza Baptist Church is literally in the middle of a war zone often. And just a couple months prior to this situation, the police in Gaza City had to overtake the church 
and use their church as like a military outpost to help fight terrorism that was going on. So they know a little thing or two about chaos and violence. And now this militant group just killed one of their team members. And literally every single person sitting around that table knew that their names were in the hands of these terrorists. And they all had targets on their back. And in the midst of that, they said to me, we can't wait to go back because we need to tell them about Jesus. I spent all week looking for a picture that I have of us with that group, and I could not find it. So even though there's no picture, trust me, it happened. (laughs) Stephen and Philip... These guys were initially appointed to help take care of a charity fund. And somehow they quickly graduated from this task of just caring for this charity fund to these men who said, you know what, we're going to live for the sake of the gospel no matter the cost. Most of us in this room, most of us in this room, cannot wrap our minds around circumstances like this. Most of us in this room are probably never going to feel that kind of life or death risk for the sake of the gospel. And that's okay. We don't have to feel guilty about that. But I think the reality is there are risks that you and I are faced with on a regular basis. Risks that we could take, but maybe choose not to. Fears or barriers that we might have that cause us to pause and hesitate and maybe not quite say this or or do that. I'm wondering if you guys would be willing to take two minutes in your groups again. And come up with a list of, of reasons um, or, or fears that might be realistic here at Grand Valley for the Christian community. Um, I mean, we're not really facing death for the most part, right? But what are the other fears or what are the other risks that could be involved? So why don't you guys talk about some of those things in your group for a minute? Okay, uh, I want to hear from you. What are some of the fears or the risks or the reasons? Maybe not, you don't have to personalize it and say, this is why I don't, but generally speaking, reasons why Christians may not be more vocal or more uh, whatever about the gospel. Yeah, go ahead. Fear of rejection or confrontation. Very good. In the back. There you go, getting lumped in with the kind of Christians that hang out of the transforma- uh, transformational link. Couldn't, couldn't say it right, sorry. Um, being held to a, a standard of, if you're a Christian, why did I see you doing this or saying that? Totally. If you're, if you're saying you're a Christian, then I saw you do this, and I'm going to call you a hypocrite because you didn't, your life didn't quite measure up to what you're, you're saying with your mouth. Somebody else. 
Losing friends that aren't Christians. It's a real thing. Fear of not having answers to their questions. Hey, I'm a Christian. This is what I believe. Why do you believe that? I don't know. I mean, you know, but like there's a lot of, man, I just don't want to be in that position where I'm going to look dumb because I don't know how to answer the really good question. So rather than trying to engage in the conversation, we just avoid it altogether. Some of us anyway. Yeah. Rejection, thinking differently of you. These are real things that we feel. I feel. So we're talking about people like Philip and Stephen who are saying, yeah, no matter what, no matter the risk. But our risks are very different than what their risks were. But let's at least name what our risks are. And let's try to figure out what can we be doing to say, no matter, even though, even, those, even though those risks are real, how do we overcome those? Sometimes I think it's, we just assume that we already know the results of this person. This person's already made up their mind. They're clearly not following Jesus. They've made that choice. They'll have to deal with whatever. And so we make these assumptions. And, I've, and I have been guilty of that. And I can tell you as I stand up here, I am so glad that there are times that I have been wrong. There's a couple people uh, that I think are amazing people, uh, leaders within the campus ministry community. I want to share two of my favorite quotes of them. They will remain anonymous. and They can maybe tell you it was them later. But people on this campus need Jesus more than I need to feel comfortable. People on this campus need Jesus more than I need to feel comfortable. Or there's this one. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Philip goes to Samaria proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And many people believe. If you were to continue reading the story in Acts 8, it gets quite interesting uh, as Philip encounters this guy by the name of Philip who is a sorcerer. He, uh, he's, a, he's a magician and somehow he has these magical powers. And I think Philip could have just assumed that Philip, or Philip could have assumed that Simon was just like, well, he's already made up his mind. He's doing his own thing. He's not going to believe and he's not going to care about this guy named Jesus because he's just set in his ways. And thankfully, Philip keeps telling the story. And there's this guy named Simon who eventually has this encounter with Jesus. And he's like, okay, I'm learning. I'm growing. It's a slow journey. It's a weird story. But it's a journey, right? I mean, Simon doesn't have it all figured out right away. He's making some mistakes. He's saying some of the wrong things. I've done that a number of times. I still do. But Philip was still willing to go. And say, even people like Simon, definitely people like Simon, need to hear this story. Here's what I want to leave for us tonight. In Acts 8, God's people scatter all over the place. Not to run and hide, but they took risks and they 
proclaimed. Next week is spring break. And nine of you are excited about that. But think about this. We too, in a week from now, are going to be scattered all over the place. Check, out, check this out. Campus ministry spring break trips are going all over the place. We are scattering. There is a question mark in North Dakota. I still don't know where the mystery trip is, in case you're wondering. I just put that up there. So kind of filled out the map a little bit. Anyway, from New York to Florida, Denver, San Diego, Portland, Oregon. Or if you're not going on a campus ministry spring break trip, maybe you're going to Florida to hang out with Grandma. Or maybe you're going to go work. Or maybe, yeah, you're going to go work. All right, somebody's excited about going to work over here. Or maybe you're going to go home and you're going to rest and you're going to relax and you're going to hang out with your family and you're going to maybe reconnect with like high school friends. Either way, as we go from this place, we are going to scatter all over the globe. And as we go, whether you're going on a spring break trip through campus ministry or not, we will have opportunities to take risks. We will have opportunities to take risks, to proclaim, to initiate conversations with strangers. We will have opportunities to put down our phones and be fully present in community with the people around us. We will have opportunities, amen. (laughs) We will have opportunities to be real with each other, to build community, to take the masks off and say, I know people think this is who I am, but really this is who I am and I hope that you guys still love me and accept me and I'm going to take this risk and tell the truth. We will have opportunities to take risks. So as we go from this place, can we, can we commit to taking risks? Can we commit to loving out loud, to living boldly? Why? Because we think we want to be like superheroes? No, for the sake of the gospel. What do you guys think? Can we do this? Can we do this? I believe you can, and I believe this is a word from the Lord for us. Please pray with me. Father, we give you thanks for people who have gone before us and have told us about Jesus. We are thankful for the people who have gone before us who have taken risks For people like Philip and Stephen that said, no matter what, I don't care what the risks are. I don't care what the cost is. Every person I encounter needs to know about Jesus. We're thankful for the family and the friends who have gone before us and have told us the greatest story in the history of the world. We're thankful for people like Pastor Hannah 
and Paulina and our friend Bella. People who say, Jesus is worth everything. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.